a former Belleville Bull joining us on the OHL podcast this week. And that's, for people of my age anyway, a little bit strange to say because the Belleville Bulls are no longer in the Ontario Hockey League, but I sure hope they get back. And a recent inductee too into the Belleville Sports Hall of Fame, which we'll talk about. Steve Bancroft with us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks a ton for making the time. Awesome. Thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. So let me get this straight because basically a, a hometown boy getting to play for the Belleville Bulls. But is it true what I'm hearing that you didn't even really want to play for the Bulls, but they picked you in the draft anyway? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. I grew up a Bulls fan. Um, I remember watching them go on to the Bulls games with my dad. And then so when things, I actually had to move away to play junior B. So I moved away from home. And then when all the accolades started coming in for the draft, um, I was I was actually ranked in the first round. And I went to the draft with a cast. I hurt my knee playing spring hockey. So back then they would just immobilize you. So I had a cast from my ankle right up to my hip heading into the OHL draft. So funny enough, I was I think I was rated uh, eighth or tenth or something. And I fell to the second round. So leading up to that, uh, my agent was like, yeah, maybe it's good. You're okay with uh, moving away from home. I'm like, yep, wherever I need to go. Well, maybe we'll tell Belleville not, not to draft you just because uh, it's so close to home. Maybe there'll be, you don't need the increased uh, pressure. And I was like, yeah, whatever you think. So sure enough, <laughs> get picked by Belleville and the rest is history. Yeah. Okay. So no pressure, hometown team. And how about Larry Mavity as your head coach? No pressure at all there, eh? Yeah, lots of uh, lots of stories about Mav over the years. Like I said, I stood back in uh, in the stands and, and watched him coach. I watched him actually walk across the rink one time. Uh, somebody was heckling him, and between periods, he walked across the rink, across the ice, taking his jacket off because he was going to come and confront this guy in the stands right in front of me. So yeah, definitely he was uh, he was a guy that uh, he was a gruff old bugger, but hey, he really looked out for his players and stood up for them. And uh, like total old school hockey, right? As a player, I'm sure you appreciated that if he's a guy that stood up for his players. Yes, for sure. Because they say he's well known. He'd been around there around so long for a reason. Um, but at the, at the same token, uh, he didn't mind you having a little bit of fun. But uh, he he liked being in on the fun sometimes too. Um, so, but he kept a, he kept an eye on us, uh, made sure we weren't getting in any trouble, and say, look at all the guys that, uh, that played for him over the years, right? You talked, Steve, about going to those games at the Yardman, watching the Bulls as a kid. So kind of to allude to what I referenced at the beginning here, not, no longer at least major junior hockey in Belleville. Does the community miss it? I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a part of the fabric in the Quinty region, wasn't it? It was for sure. And uh, like I say, that hardworking mentality that all those teams brought, they were always tough teams. They were enjoyable hockey to watch. Um, the old song they used to play when the goals come on, wasn't that a party? Uh, they got rid of that. Uh, I think my my last year, they got rid of that song, but uh, they bring it back out once in a while. So the fans would, uh, <laughs> the fans would all start cheering when that, uh, when that came out. Right. So um, it's, it's a sad to see it. It left. I was when it was uh, when they were talking about leaving, and, and it happened quick. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't too happy to see the team leave that quick. If any other team tries to leave, you hear about it for months in advance, and that one kind of happened pretty quick. Um, and I kind of lowered a little bit of the backstory, and 
and uh, that they needed a team in Hamilton to replace a lease that was gone from the Montreal Canadiens. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't real happy the way it shook down, but again, um, what do you do? It, it happened quick. Uh, there was a lot of uh, local people that were trying to put together something to uh, keep the team in, in town. Whether that ever would have come to fruition, hard to say. Uh, big thing, the rink um, since then has got overgone major transition, uh, major renovations, and kind of funny, going back five, six, seven, eight years before that, it always came up in the, in the uh, local politics. Yep, we're going to plan on uh, uh, redoing the rink, and they shot towards 2017, and kind of sad that it never got done prior to that, because to leave uh, to leave Belleville in the lurch, uh, again, they end up getting the Belleville Senators, which again, great brand of hockey. I played it for many years. So it's just a different brand. They say, what's the difference between OHL and AHL? I said, AHL, they're, they're professionals. It's, uh, you're, there's not as many uh, mistakes. It's going to be more controlled. Uh, the OHL game, um, there's lots of kids kind of feeling their way through the league and there's going to be lots of mistakes, which leads to lots of goal scoring opportunities, right? So you're not going to see that as much in pro hockey. Speaking of that, ice surface at the Yardman Arena. Obviously, I can only imagine what kind of home ice advantage it was for the Bulls back in the day because it's Olympic size. Forwards, it's one thing. Goaltenders and defense, it's got to be another. How much of an adjustment was that for you as a defenseman to get used to playing on that ice surface? Yeah, well, it's definitely the goaltenders are the big thing. They're, they're, uh, their angles would be totally off. You'd see them halfway out of the net, and you're like, what the heck's that guy doing? But they're so, uh, the angles were so much different. Obviously, with the uh, open ice, like it's amazing to try and get hits on that open ice. And like we had a guy, Brian Marchment, there, rest in peace, good, really good friend of mine. Um, how he was able to actually track people down in that open ice, uh, just amazing because. Uh, it's a different game. It's a different part of your angling. You're basically trying to push everybody to the outside. Um, you're basically sometimes giving up the blue line uh, to the oncoming rush just to try and keep them out of the middle of the ice and then wait for your back checkers to get back. But yeah, it's uh, once the game starts, you don't really notice it. Uh, more so likely doing sideboards in practice when you got to go over and back. <laughs> you, uh, you mentioned Mush and rest in peace for sure. The hockey world is, I think, still... Uh, mourning a, a sudden loss. You you had a cup of coffee with him in in Chicago too. In in your NHL game, you played with the Blackhawks. But what do you remember of him? I met Mush when I was seventeen um, and hit it off pretty quickly. Um, I live back uh, north of Belleville, half an hour. He's got a co- he had a cottage the next uh, lake over from me. Uh, big into hunting and fishing, so we meshed uh, real quick. Spent a lot of time together um yeah even in uh so chicago i got called up and he ended up uh being in the doghouse <laughs> with the coach and they actually sat him out to play me my first nhl game and then uh fast forward years later i uh, got the opportunity to play with him and scott thornton in san jose which was uh, a big highlight for me um but yeah mush was uh he was one of a kind and um all the people that came to talk at his uh celebration of life like I say, a lot of people that uh, I would know from name only, but to hear some of the stories and they all kind of came back to the same type of uh, uh, person that Mush was to everybody. It's It's been said, Steve, that between you, Marchment, uh, 
Chapman, Brian Chapman, and a Kitchener boy, Big Z, Greg Bignall. You were the best 4D as, as the top four in Belleville Bulls history. Were you aware of it at the time? I mean, you, you must have known you were a pretty solid foursome. Yeah, not at all. Like, really, realistically, uh, Mush and Chappie, that was Chappie's last year. Um, he ended up getting 60-some points as a 19-year-old. As a uh, Big Z would have been his, uh, would have been his second year. Um, myself coming in as a rookie, um, I didn't likely hit stride till kind of later in the season. Um, I was a second round draft pick, but just like anybody else, if you're not playing well, uh, you're not going to play much. So again, trying to, trying to jump in front of some of those veteran guys, it wasn't likely till the end of the year where I started to get comfortable. Um, but I've never heard that. There's been a lot of good D go through, uh, uh, through the Belleville, uh, um, zone here so and I did like I say once I retired I've been retired 18 years I'd go back and watch uh, some of the teams that uh, George Bordet and Jake Grimes put together there so they had some pretty formidable D there too one goal in your rookie season surely you remember it oh for sure <laughs> slap shot from the point on the ice off uh, off somebody's skate <laughs> <laughs> just the way you drew it up right exactly they don't ask how though right <laughs> exactly exactly what was it like what was the adjustment like you had played in St. Catharines the year before then you step into the Ontario Hockey League we just talked about some of those great D you were surrounded by but what was the learning curve or the jump like for you Banger it is quite a jump believe it or not like you say and there's there's uh, anywhere from 16 to a 20 year old uh, that you're going to be playing with and against at any one time right so that's quite a difference in age if you were to put uh, like high school sports, put a 16 year old against a 20 year old, you're going to notice a big difference. So um, you kind of got to sit back and see how it goes. I remember like even how physical the game was um, fighting was a lot bigger part of it back then. Like I, geez, it would have been, I think my first uh, likely one of my first uh, memories is in one of the first scrimmages and, and mush. And there was another guy, Brian Blad. Well, mush speared him and I'm sitting on the bench watching and, they're good. They're buddies. They played together and they fight at center ice to break it up. They fight again. And then uh, Mav has to come down out of the uh, rafters and break it all up and said, that's enough. So I'm sitting there as a rookie and thinking, oh my, like this is, this is, this is going to get intense here right off the hop. So after uh, I, I remember I didn't have, I wasn't in a fight in uh, training camp, but I said to one of the veterans, I said, geez, uh, really nobody's asked me to fight. Should I just grab somebody and start swinging? And they said, no, don't worry about it. Just wait for the first exhibition game. So that's what I did. <laughs> and? I was actually uh, Ian Fraser. Oh, my um, God. Fraz, he's been on this podcast, too. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yes, yeah, sir. Fraz, great guy. Played against him for years. Um, so I had a lot of shoulder problems. That was my uh, the first fight in the OHL. Fought Fraz, and I popped my shoulder out in the middle of the fight. So he caught me with a good one right in the nose. And uh, at the time he, they got him into the penalty box and my shoulder popped back in on the way. So I, I tried to get out of him. He was sticking his head out, making fun of me. And uh, so I tried to jump in the penalty box and get him. And uh, so, and again, it's, Mav's on the bench. So obviously uh, Mav would have caught notice of that pretty quick, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we recognize Steve that, you know, the game, the way it was compared to the game, the way it is, has improved in a lot of ways. I mean, that's got to be pretty damn intimidating as a 16 year old thinking about that first fight. When's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? How am I going to do, et cetera. But 
there are elements I still miss from that too. How do you view the eras and kind of where we're at with the game today compared to what it was like when you were playing? I don't get me wrong. I love the new game. It's it's so fast. It's so skilled. Uh, but I do miss the physicality of it. Not necessarily that it has to be uh, five fights a game, but just the just the physicality of uh, going in, finishing your checks. It drives me crazy to watch guys go in on the four check and and just swing away. And certain coaches will still preach that to finish your check, but a lot of them don't follow up with it. So that's what I would like to see is the physicality. Um, I say not necessarily the, that it needs to be fighting. Do I think fighting should be part of the game? Yes, I do. I think it's crazy that Quebec League's uh, t- trying to take it totally out of the game. Um, no accountability. And again, I wasn't a fighter by any means, but I sure enjoyed uh, having having one of them by my side to uh, kind of back me up when I need it. Yeah, you know, and I was just talking to somebody about that, like all the stuff you see in scrums these days after there's a whistle and there's the pushing, the shoving, the face wash, the little slash. And I said that same thing about accountability. If we still had a, a consequence maybe in the game, Everybody wouldn't be so tough in those post-whistle scrums. Yeah, well, look at uh, look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. One of their main uh, off-season acquisitions, uh, Reeves. You know, come in and and create a create something that they haven't had. But again, you can't sit those guys on the bench. You got to at least be able to play and go out and be physical and and get your hits and and be able to create. Whether it's seven eight minutes of ice a night, um, but you can't sit on the bench and and expect to utilize somebody for two minutes a game, right? You're just taking up a spot. So again, there's, uh, there's people that uh, can, can do that role. A lot of, a lot of those tough guys that never got a chance, they still had to be able to skate to get to, to get to that level. Right. So anybody can skate, anybody can finish their check and, and be a force that way. Um, not everybody's willing to do it though. I got to think that being a Belleville Bull back in the day, the biggest rival was about 45 minutes away in Kingston. (laughs) Yeah, you could say that. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say about that? Well, obviously, uh, likely my one of my fondest memories in junior was uh, my last year. We played Kingston and I believe it's still the longest OHL game in history. Uh, Playoff game uh, game. It was game four. And I say, or excuse me, it was game two. And that went four overtimes. And that series uh, was just a, I'd, I'd gotten a fight with Tony Yob. He busted my nose. I think it was uh, in game four. My nose bled for three more games. I couldn't get it to stop. Um, but at the end of that seven game series, we won uh, in game seven in Kingston and pulled the goalie. We were shorthanded. Remember, clear as day. So we were able to pull that one up but wow what a series looking back on all those guys uh how how hard everybody battled and then uh we got beat out whatever night it was and uh that uh the the rinks we were playing peterborough the next round and of course that's in the spring you have the uh, garden shows and the home shows and everything we end up having to play four days in a row after finishing that seven game series it was ridiculous they'd never let it happen again it's just ridiculous that they made us do it we were out four days later. We were just so drained from that first series. Um, but yeah, especially with Mav going to Kingston too. He left after my first year. So obviously Mav going to Kingston and it was the Raiders back then. Um, so obviously that was an added element to uh, to everything. But after that seven game series, uh, typical Mav, 
he calls in all the guys that he drafted that were still there. There was myself and uh, Big Z and Scott Thornton and Bob Berg, Jeff Fife. He called us all into his room and wanted basically just to tell us how proud he was of us, even though he just lost. Yeah, but like you say, anybody could have won that one. Man, oh man, that's a great story. And it just speaks to the character of Larry Mavity, doesn't it? Big time. Like you say, who would have thought? You yeah. know, once you're once you're on another team, let them go. But no, I still talk. I would still see Mav around, even when uh, I was coaching some AAA. Any games we'd go to, I'd uh, he'd he'd sit up the top there with uh, Dick Cherry. So I always made sure we went and found him. I of course had that playoff series against Kingston on my list of things to talk about because you guys were the underdogs too. It was a five over a two, I'm pretty sure, and you have to win Game Seven in their barn to advance. Yes. Well, Kingston had a wicked uh, regular season. And again, playoffs isn't all always about the best regular season team. It's just who's playing the best at the right time. So, yeah, we were definitely underdogs. We were likely closer to the 500 and, and Kingston had a, a, a great year that year. So uh, going in, especially we lost, uh, we lost game one, um, one game two, game three, we actually fired our coach. Uh, that was uh, Danny Flynn was our coach and uh, the uh, Doc Vaughn decided uh, that after Game Three we were down that uh, we were gonna we were gonna uh, fire the coach. So our assistant coach took over. So that was even a, an added element to the uh, to the whole series. So, and then I think it was after Game Four, our goalie Jeff Fife, um, he threw a stick in the stands, and he was the uh, OHL goalie of the year, uh, All Star, everything, and had a wicked year. But after that game, we didn't get a chance to have him in the Nets anymore. So a guy named Rob Stopar uh, come in, wasn't even with us all year. So he came in and actually won the last few games for us. Man, oh man, like that's a crazy amount of things to happen in a series that you end up ultimately winning as an underdog. Yeah, it's almost like uh, almost like we should have been uh, we should have won the won the whole uh, darn thing and then come back and look at that. But wasn't meant to be, I guess. What was your least favorite building to play in on the road, Steve? We didn't go uh, west very much, right? So we just went uh, one game a year. I wasn't a big fan of that Windsor Arena, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that one always come up? The fans right on top of you, right? Not always. an easy place to play. No, not at all. And again, they were they were rabid fans too, right? So it just felt like they were right on top of you, hanging right over you, and everybody screaming and yelling at you. But um, likely, likely that'd be the one that stands out the most. You mentioned the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, a few moments ago. I would be remiss, and I'm I, forgive me. I'm sure you're tired of this, but. You, you were part of a really <laughs> remarkable draft year in 89, one of three Belleville Bulls to be taken in the first round by the same team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. You were the third of the three. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. And there's, uh, there's, I've written, I've read a couple, I've read a couple uh, books on what exactly happened. And, <laughs> uh, but it was funny because going into the draft, obviously Scott Thornton, he was rated, uh, third or fourth and he ended up going that high um leading up I was ranked 10th but again I've referenced some shoulder injuries there before 
I was just coming off my second shoulder uh, uh, surgery after my second year playing junior. So there was some current concerns about that, um, I guess, among other things. And so I was rated 10th. And so when they picked that 12, uh, Rob Pearson um, actually played for us uh, that year. And he only played maybe about 30 games. He broke his wrist. So he, he missed half the year. So again, he was a real gritty player could score goals with the best of them. So he was ranked later in the draft, but again, he only played half the year. So when they picked that number, uh, they picked that number 12, um, they'd said, and Toronto Maple Leafs are proud to select from the Belleville Bulls. And I had my old family down there in the, in uh, Minnesota and one of them squawked. And then they said, Rob Pearson. <laughs> so, and again, not knowing what to think, uh, knew that they had another one, but not even thinking about getting picked to the Leafs. And then there was all the teams leading up to that. And uh, I, the, the book that I'd read, so when they, when they end up picking me, the Stelic, uh, they, they didn't even realize at the time the history that they were making. Um, we just, they just said, we just picked the best player we thought available. So that's how I got picked. And I'm sure they've taken a lot of heat over the years because Adam, Adam Foote got picked uh, right after me to uh, Quebec. So <laughs> what did he ever do, Banger? What did yeah, he exactly. ever do? <laughs> <laughs> So what was draft day like for you? First of all, obviously not hearing your name when you thought it was, they called it Rob Pearson instead, but what was, I mean, going first round to the National Hockey League, to the Toronto Maple Leafs, no less, is uh, something I'm sure you'll always remember. Yeah, for sure. Like I say, once uh, once we got picked and then we all met up meeting uh, at the draft uh, right, right there, like Scott and Rob were still there. And obviously us all being friends was pretty crazy. Um, all the interviews and stuff after, but then we got to spend some time with our families and then enjoy the festivities in, uh, in Minneapolis that night. So, um, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty surreal how it all shook down. Um, Liam McGuire, who's a, a guy that does all the video or the uh, trivia stuff. Um, I was at a function with him years back and uh, they were saying, ask me anything, ask me anything uh, that, um, and my question to him was, everybody knows that we all got picked in the first round. And my question to him was, how did the how did the Toronto Maple Leafs end up with three first round picks in one year? And he thought for a while and he says, I don't know. He says, you got me. And I said, Toronto traded Ken Reggett to the Flyers for um, for two first round picks that year. That's how they ended up with uh, ended up with three. So to have three uh, picks. It happens. So the Bruins had not long ago, 2015, I think they had uh, three, um, but to pick all three from the same junior team, I can't see it ever happening again. Yeah, that was, I mean, I had wondered about that same thing. So now I know the piece of trivia too, because it's one thing to say, <laughs> you know, you were one of three picked, but I was wondering like, how the heck did the Leafs end up with three first round picks that year? So there well, you go. They were pretty bad, but they only give you one for that. <laughs> Any chance that uh, the Leafs were your team growing up or who did you like? No, they definitely were my team. Uh, my dad was a, a avid Leaf fan. He still is to this day. And I cheer for kind of anybody the Leafs are playing. <laughs> really? Hey, eh? you, you turned your back on the organization, did you? Well, it wasn't even that. I, I, it was uh, never really held any allegiances. And then, and then towards the end of my HL career, I was playing in Ottawa um, and I was playing with – Jason Spezza, Chris Kelly, Brian McGrath, and all, all OHL guys, um, Antoine Vermette, all these guys, Ray Emery, like all these guys that uh, end up going to, uh, on to Ottawa. Well, me being only two hours from Ottawa, 
once I was towards the end of my career. So once those guys made it to Ottawa, I'm a, I started going up and watching them. So then obviously I'm a fan because they're all my friends. And then, so everybody just took it uh, that I was never going to cheer for the Leafs. And then I, and I just said, I'm cheering for my buddies. So I guess now I'm an Ottawa Senators fan. And I've kept <laughs> up with it. So it's, it's good for the, uh, it's good for the back and forth with the boys here. Good for you. It's, it's almost like a, a second NHL draft for you, I think, because you ended up getting picked by Florida in the 93 expansion draft, didn't you? I did. Uh, pretty exciting uh, for about one day. Uh, they picked me. Uh, I was uh, I'd gotten traded to uh, uh, Winnipeg, and I was exposed and got picked. And I was the fourth, I think the fourth defenseman picked. And then a uh, day later, I got a call from Bobby Clark, and and back then the contracts were a little bit different. You you would have a year and an like if you had signed a two year deal, you'd have an option year on it. So I played out my option uh, the year before, and then Bobby Clark called me and said, "Yep, we're gonna." offer you your termination contract, which is your last year. And I said, well, I already played that out last year. And he said, really? So they picked me not knowing that I didn't have another year in my contract. So they ended up not offering me a contract. So it made me a free agent. So okay. kind of a great, uh, I was thinking things were looking up pretty good because I had a really good year in the, uh, I started in the, or the IHL, then went to the HL and I had like 60 points. So I was, I had a really good year. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm getting a chance here. So it's uh they pulled the rug out pretty quick i would have thought that would be your feeling right with the expansion team here's your opportunity but i gotta say perseverance is what comes to mind for me when i look at your resume steve because you you didn't give up eventually you get that game with the chicago blackhawks and it's it's almost 10 years between that and your next nhl appearance with the san jose sharks yeah, it's hard to say. Like even when we got when I got called up, the uh, the reporters were asking me questions. Oh, 10 years apart, and how'd you keep going? And I just looked at him and I said, I grew up when I wanted to be a hockey player, and when uh, obviously everybody wants to play in the NHL, I said, but I'm living my dream of being a hockey player. I don't play in the NHL on a regular basis, but for up to that point, I said I've played in the NHL, so not many people can say that. I said, so am I happy? No. But am I, am I over the course of the whole career to get to play those uh, five more games meant a lot to me. But uh, the, the fact that it was 10 years apart, I played pro hockey for 16 years and there's a lot of, I saw a lot of great, great spots. I was in some real crap holes. Don't get me wrong. Um, traveled a lot of buses, uh, a lot of plane rides, a lot of time across North America, a year and a year in, uh, Augsburg, Germany during the uh, 04 lockout. So the hockey opened up a lot of doors for me, even in my life now. Like I'm a local guy, but a lot of people still say you're the guy, you played for the Bulls, even though the Bulls have been gone for, I think, six, seven years now. Did you have a favorite spot along the way out of all of those destinations? I think I counted 16 different teams overall. Well, it's, uh, well, it's more, it's over 20, but some of them I went back to a couple of times. Right. Uh, <laughs> so whether they count or not. And then the one year when I was in Kentucky, which I had my best year, uh, uh individual wise had 73 points and got first team all-star. Uh, my son was born there Providence uh, in 1999. We had a wicked team won the Calder cup championship. My daughter was born there. So a couple of cities that, uh, will always, will always remember, but, uh, kind of hard to to say that Vegas wouldn't uh, 
playing in Las Vegas in the IHL wouldn't rank up there. Um, wicked, uh, like wicked town. It wasn't even the gambling and everything because you get sick of that. But uh, being able to go out, wear your shorts to the rink, go golfing after, uh, whatever. But like I say, there were some were better than others. Um, uh, spent a lot of time out in the East Coast of Canada too. So they take the good with the bad. That Calder Cup in 99, I mean, you guys basically cruised in that one. You talked about how good a team you had with Providence, but you were never even really tested in the playoffs, at least not looking at the results of those series. And you cruise over Rochester 4-1 in the final. Well, funny enough, um, I got loaned there. I was uh, with Calgary and um, I'd said my wife was pregnant and I said I didn't want to go back to St. John's for the next year. So they sent me back to St. John's and Rick Five is the cap, is the uh, coach. And he says, I'm going to name you captain. I said, don't do that. I said, I don't want to be here. I'm trying to get out of here. So he named me the captain, ended up playing the first five games there. And then finally they worked out a deal and loaned me to uh, Providence. I'm like, Providence? I've never even been there before. I wasn't even in the American League when I was there last time. So I looked at the record the year before and they won 18 games. And I'm like, that, oh my, this is, this is not good. And the coach at the time was Peter Laviolette. So he called me and Bill Armstrong. Um, he was the he was the assistant, but he was actually still playing at the time. So Laviolette called me. We made a deal for you. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't a good deal. I said, I don't think uh, I'm too interested in coming there. And he said, well, we got a real up and up and coming team. They were two and four when I got there. And I'm like, this is not going to be a good year for me. And then we end up winning. We were two and four to start the season. And then we ended up only losing 10 games the whole year. I think it was 10 games and uh, plus the playoffs. So we kind of walked through from that point on, got to had our own uh, issues going into the playoffs. Um, the Rangers, we met them in the first round and the Rangers didn't make the playoffs that, that year. So their team was in Hartford. They sent like five or six guys down. So on paper, they had a way better team than us. And we were down three, nothing in the first period. And we were thinking, oh my, this isn't going to be good. We came back and won that game and then swept. So again, it's not always the best players. It's the best team. And we uh, we had a wicked bunch of guys end up. Uh, there was, I think there was uh, three guys on the first team, all-star um, another guy on the second team, but we had the best, uh, I believe we had the, we definitely had the most goals, best uh, power play, one of the best uh, goals against so we kind of rolled through, but you never roll through. We beat, uh, we won 4-1 in the, in the uh, finals against Rochester, but they were stacked up uh, pretty well too. Uh, game, was it game three, I guess? I bent over to tie my skates and slip my back out. So <laughs> I uh, tried to play another game, but I was pretty much done for the rest of the, rest of the year. So um, pretty dangerous tying your skates sometimes. <laughs> yeah, who knew? Who knew? You, you're... Your hockey DB page, Steve, has got to be like one of the most, one of the fullest pages anybody will find. Is there some kind of record that you tried to set or do you, you might have it in terms of the amount of travel there? I think if you look up uh, Jared Scaldi, uh, he's going to be right up there too. Um, <laughs> he might even have me to tell you the truth. So no, it wasn't anything. It was like some, some years it didn't matter whether I was uh, the one year I got moved three times and I got loaned at the start of the year. Then I got traded at the deadline and then I got traded two weeks after the deadline. Rick Dudley, I was in, uh, I was in uh, Detroit in the IHL and he made a deadline deal for me, like the day of the deadline. And then I was there for two weeks. And then he called me and says, yeah, we made it. We traded you to uh, uh, St. John's Newfoundland for Dixon Ward. 
And I was like, well, how did you do that? The trade deadline was two weeks ago. And he says, oh, we just loaned you. So that's okay. And I'm like, oh my, oh, well, off to Newfoundland, right? So I went wherever they take me. And some, sometimes your contract would be up, you'd, you'd go that way. Um, I was lucky as I got older and we, my wife and the kids came along, we weren't really uh, getting moved in the middle of the year it was more at the start of the year. So. I'm thinking back on what you said before, when reporters would ask you, you know, the time it took between stints in the national hockey league, for example, your dream was to be a pro hockey player. You were playing pro hockey. It wasn't always the NHL. You got six of those games, but you were playing pro hockey. I got to think, Steve, you must've just loved it. Otherwise I'm sure you would have given up somewhere along the line. That's how I knew towards the end. I was 36 uh, when it was time to quit. I've, since I've had two hip uh, replacements already at 53 years old. So I was in pain all the time and hockey wasn't fun for me that last year. I had a lot of fun playing, but I said I was in pain a lot. And uh, so once it stops being fun, that's why guys retire. And that's why some guys retire earlier. I still had fun. I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed being around. I met a lot of amazing, uh, amazing players, coaching staff, trainers, everybody. So when it stopped becoming fun, that's when I knew it was over. So that took me till I was 36 years old. So I had to, I had to retire and get a real job at that point. <laughs> I noticed you've got some jerseys behind you in the background. Do you have all of them and you just rotate through or how do you determine which ones get the shadow box treatment? No, uh, actually the one you're lucky looking at behind me there, that's my uh, one from my last year. That was my thousandth game. So they had that put in a, putting a uh, for in a uh, box for me. The other one would be my son's. Uh, he played in the OJHL and he's down at Cornell now. So that was his, uh, he was the MVP of the league that year. So they boxed that up for him. So I got a few more around. I don't have them all. I wish to say I did have them all. I've got likely, uh, likely 12 or so. Um, so I'm missing a few for sure. My, uh, even my draft Jersey, um, it, w- it was stashed at my parents for years. Uh, they had a fire in 2006 and, and lost everything. So unfortunately my draft Jersey was in there too, as a, along with my Belva Bulls, uh, Belva Bulls Jersey. So that one's been replaced. And I gave that, uh, the Belva Bulls Jersey and my San Jose Jersey down to the, uh, for the hall of fame induction. So they get that for a year anyways. You talked earlier about, uh, unfortunately, that first NHL game comes at the expense of your friend, uh, Brian Marchman, who was benched and you get to play. What was it like, though? Old, I mean, with that Chicago team looking at the roster with the Ronicks and the Goulets and a whole bunch of others, what was it like stepping onto the NHL ice that first well, game? Pretty good when uh, Dominic Hasek is your backup goalie, right? Uh, backup goalie, exactly. <laughs> backup goalie. Balfour was uh, one of the best goalies in the league at that time. Um, yeah, star studded for sure. Chelios just watching him, Steve Smith, um, some of those like Jeremy Roanoke, all, all those guys, right? So it was played in Boston Garden. So again, I'd gotten traded from Boston the year before. And uh, so to go back there, and I told this story earlier was Ray Bork uh, in the Boston uh, training camp the year before was my roommate. So obviously Ray Bork doesn't have to come to the hotel. He just goes home every night. So he'd come in and say, hey, kid, did they check curfew on me last night? And I'd be like, yeah, no, you're good. I think you're all right. So it was the next year. And he obviously remember me because it was just a little bit of a double take on the ice when I skated out there. 
he wouldn't remember this, but obviously I do because I remember the double take. So a little thing like that. I didn't play a lot. I think I maybe played six or seven minutes. Um, pretty sure we lost. <laughs> but again, like I sat down uh, the next day or two days later. Um, so it was my start and I thought, okay, well, I'm only, I think I was 22 going on 23. So I thought, okay, I'll be able to get more games in for sure. So unfortunately it took 10 more years. Yeah, but, you know, not a bad lineup there either with Nolan and Ricci and Marlowe and Dan Foos and the San Jose Sharks that year. Bittersweet. They didn't go further. To tell you the truth, because they did, they did have some really good teams, and they were they were so close, but just couldn't get over that final hump. So, um, yeah, lots of great, uh, lots of great guys. Like Dan Foos was in Toronto when I was uh, when we first got drafted, too, right? So there's a few guys that I played with uh, over the years there too, and and obviously with Thorny and Mush there, they they made things really easy. Brian Sutter was the thread that connected both of those appearances in the NHL for you. He was coaching both Chicago and San Jose. Did you have a special connection to him or did it just work out that way? It just worked out that way. Um, he was never and never has been somebody that wanted to see uh, young players in his lineup. So I think he was forced to play somebody else uh, for my first game. And then as I got, uh, when I was in San Jose, somebody got hurt and it was kind of me or nobody else to play. Um, so I wouldn't say that, I, he had a soft spot for me, but just right place, right time. Even even my last year, uh, he was the coach in Calgary when I was uh, when I when I was there, and he had a lot to say because the lockout year, they were trying to get a contract, and he says we can't sign you this year, but next year uh, next year we'll sign you if you're available when you come back. So true to his word, he ended up signing me the next year, and I said, hey, good to see you again. <laughs> it was just for training camp, right? So, but. Yeah, obviously uh, the, the landscape has changed in the coaching world a lot. So um, it's kind of wore, wore thin on a few uh, few of his players. So is what it is. Well, speaking of coaching, and you made reference to this earlier, you did stay involved in the game, at least to some degree, coaching with the Quinty Red Devils for a bit. What were you like as a coach? Did you take anything away from guys that had coached you? For sure I did. Um and I, I was assistant coach for the first few years. And I really, again, I wanted to sit back and watch, but I guess when you have something to offer, um, unless there's somebody else there that, uh, that you think could do a job. So uh, Randy Ewan's a guy that uh, his son um, playing in the American league. Now um, he asked me to come down. It's about half an hour drive to go down for AAA. So I went down and after, I think after the kids were in minor Bantam, he was supposed to coach again the next year and we got beat out the first round and he walked out of the uh, dressing room and says, yep, I'm stepping down. You're going to be the new coach. And I said, do you think you should ask me or. Uh... <laughs> so I ended up coaching, being the head coach for uh, major Bantam and minor midget. So obviously minor midgets, a big year. So we ended up having 10 kids drafted to the OHL a um, couple a couple are playing pro now. A couple are still in university. I think four of them uh, played in the OHL. Um, so like I say it's it's nice to see the kids go on. And uh, 
the I tried to run things as much as they were going to see as they, if they wanted to go forward in hockey. This, here's how a practice is going to be run. Everything's up tempo. Here's how here's how a, a game should look. Here's the accountability that you're going to find um, the next the next rung up the ladder. What's the most important thing for you as a coach, Steve, in a player that would indicate to you that, yep, he might have what it takes to go to the next level? Well, I guess the drive and determination is a, is a big thing. Not everybody's going to be physical. Um, not everybody's going to be skilled, but you got to be able to uh, battle and compete. Even if you're not that physical guy, you still need to be able to go first in the corner and come out with the puck. Um, they're puck battles. When when the scouts are watching those guys, they track these, uh, they call them 50-50 pucks, right? So if you're on the good side of those 50-50 battles, then they take notice, right? If you're if you're losing battles, that means you're not you're not doing what uh, what you need to to make your team better, right? So and I, what I'd always instill with them too is body language. Um, body language is huge, and it's one thing that sticks out to everybody in the whole crowd. Some kids shaking their head or uh, their head head nod goes up after they don't get the puck. That's like a, a like a non-starter for for most scouts. They just click you right off the list, right? You mentioned your son earlier, uh, Dalton, playing D one at Cornell, NCAA route for the son of a former OHLer. Is that a little bit weird? No, not at all. He was. Uh... You there? I'm here. I can still I see you it. and hear you. You know, I can. Are you still there? Oh, I got you. There you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Um, his his path was totally different. Uh, he got drafted late, a uh, little bit of a late bloomer, or not a little bit, but uh, at uh, the draft, uh, he he had more than a point a game in his uh, AAA, and we had a good team, so we had a bunch of kids getting drafted, and he just fell off. He wasn't a real strong skater. He got drafted 11th round to um, Saginaw, went to a couple training camps. They weren't ready to do anything. Um, ended up going to a camp in Guelph, ended up going to a camp in Oshawa, but he wasn't ready to compete. And he, when he got drafted, he was, well, he was six foot or six, one, 170 pounds, but still one of the bigger, a bigger kid in the draft. Well, a year later, he was six, three, two, fifteen, And then we went back and they were like, what the heck's he been eating? And again, um, it wasn't until he committed to get into the right, uh, the, the right shape conditioning wise and the frame of mind until he was 19. And then he just got back and said, this is what I want to do. And then decided uh, to work out like crazy the one summer. And then he was the league MVP in the OJ the next year. So that got his commitment. And again, he lost a year during COVID. So that didn't help things either. Um, but yeah, classic, classic late bloomer. It wasn't like we, if if a team come and said, yeah, we want to sign you, we would have thought about it. We didn't think all along he was going to the uh, to the college ranks, but it worked out and it's a totally different animal down there for sure. Worst places to be though than Cornell. Good program there. Wicked. And it's four hours for us door to door. The coach has been there uh, for uh, 28 years now, I think it is. Um, and yes, obviously, uh, an Ivy league school, um, they go in, they, they take their schooling very serious and to just, if, if 
if you went to Cornell, it's amazing the connections that are around the whole world. So he's going to have that at his fingertips uh, when he's done. How did you find that part of the game when you were playing, Steve, the student athlete in the Ontario Hockey League? It's from my perspective, watching the kids, it's a heck of a balancing act. It is for sure. And again, the practices, um, especially when you're on the road, there there are always going to be some uh, teachers and guidance counselors that are going to have to guide them along the way. Um, I can't say that it was, it was as important back when I was going through. I went through grade 13, but my grade 12 and grade 13 years, I only took a couple classes a semester. So I wasn't overloaded by any means. Um, but yes, it's definitely uh a really good friend of mine, um, his kid is from Madoc, Ben Danford, plays in Oshawa. He was, uh, his his mother's a teacher. He, he got the Oshawa Scholastic player with one of the other kids. So again, there's, it's a commitment is what it is. Some kids are going to uh, thrive with it. Other kids are going to struggle with it. Um, but like I say, the OHL has really switched gears there to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to succeed in school, right? And now that they've all got the opportunity, if pro isn't on the horizon, they have the opportunity to go to school and continue their education and keep playing hockey, which is awesome. Draft year for Danford, big year for the family. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I just got back from the U18s uh, overseas, which was wicked. Um, we watched the games here. So yeah, looking for, looking for big things from them for sure. Even though you weren't sure about the pressure of playing for essentially your hometown as a kid, Steve, it must've been pretty cool to be a Belleville area boy playing for the bulls. I mean, you must've owned the town for a few years, didn't you? We spent a lot of time down there for sure. Um, again, I live in a town of 1300 people. It's, uh, it's 25 minutes from Belleville. So I was down there all the time. We'd go down there for our workouts. We'd go down there for our fun. Um, so no, it's looking back, it, it's the best thing that could have happened to me. I didn't have, I'd moved home away when I was 16 to play junior B. So then I didn't live at home when I played for the Bulls. So I lived, I still lived down in Belleville, but I saw my parents weekly. Uh, and so to look back, it's the best thing that could have happened to me. We are having this conversation just days after you were inducted into the Belleville Sports Hall of Fame. What does that mean to you when you say with that Steve Bancroft hall of fame inductee? Yeah, pretty special. Like I say, obviously not being from Belleville, but being a local, uh, local guy, there's a lot of, a lot of pictures up on that wall. My billet who I live with, um, with the bulls for three years, he's on that wall. Some of my teachers from even back North, uh, they're on that wall. Um, my aunt or my, uh, my wife's uncle's on the wall, Rob Ray, um, Matt Cook, all guys like that that came through, all the Crawfords, obviously a great history with them around the Belleville area. So yeah, to have my name uh, or have my picture up there, it's it's pretty special for sure. What was the ceremony like for you? What was it like going back and reliving some of those memories? Well, I had, uh, I had to do a speech and uh, they said, you got five minutes. So when I was done, my wife said, you were eight and a half minutes. I didn't feel so bad because uh, some of the other ones were longer, but I just did some bullet points and I said, I can, I can BS, I guess, just uh, make sure I don't forget anybody of the main thing and uh, no great ceremony. A lot of people like even from back in the bulls days um, that 
hadn't seen in forever, recognized the faces, but just haven't seen them. So did my speech. I, I survived and uh, I didn't take too long on stage, which was good. Jack Miller <laughs> was the host. Uh, so obviously got a good, uh, a long history with Jack Miller too. He is a, a heck of a guy. And really, I mean, from OHL game of the week to the longtime association with the Belleville Bulls. But uh, I think the Ontario Hockey League owes him a debt of gratitude for his work in it. Yes, the old uh, the old game of the week, Saturday game of the week, right? Longine Wittenhauer, player of the game, and get your uh, get your brute pack if you got to, <laughs> got to play of the game, right? Player of the game, right? They're a watch for play of the game, I guess. So, yeah, well, that goes back a long time for sure. And Jack, uh, obviously, he's on the radio here too, uh, doing the news. Uh, I said to him, I said, geez, you must be getting ready to retire. And I, I don't think he's quite ready to head out to pasture yet. So we'll have him around for a while yet. I look forward to that. I actually, I'll be honest with you, Banger. I texted Jack before you and I got together here just to say, hey, anything I should know about uh, Steve Bancroft before I sit down with him? So he's keeping tabs on you too, buddy. <laughs> Good to hear. You joked earlier that when it came time to retire from hockey, you had to get a, a real job. Is that when, is, is real estate the real job? Yes. So obviously playing uh, in the minors with kids, I had to, had to have an eye towards uh, making a living, right? So not uh, playing the NHL for 16 years, battling out and made some good money along the way. But again, I had to have a game plan. My dad was in real estate, very successful, and he'd been kind of bugging me for years. So I actually took all my courses while I was still playing. So I retired and a week later I was working. So <laughs> kind of hit the ground running, um, had a little, had a foot in the door for sure. Cause uh, realtors can take a while to get going, but I had a clientele kind of waiting for me and uh, no, it's, I couldn't ask for anything more for sure. Okay. Now I know how you carved out a 16 year pro career with a work ethic like that. Come on, give your, take at least the summer of Steve or something before you start. Eh? <laughs> well, my first, it's funny. My first week, uh, Friday would Friday come and I said, okay, we'll see you later. Uh, see you Monday or whatever. And he's like, what do you mean? Uh, I says, well, you can work on the weekends. And I was like, geez, weekends are for fun. So I learned it pretty quick. Uh, his work ethic, uh, he worked a lot of long hours, but that's why he was so successful. And that's kind of what it was. My my career in real estate was was molded after him. I look at that part of the province, Steve, very fondly east of the Toronto area. And I've looked at some of your listings. So now I know who I can reach out to when it's, I'll, I'll probably retire before Jack Miller does the way I'm going. <laughs> Yeah, we got it all up here. We got uh, we got water, lots of lakes up near us, lots of farm, lots of hunting areas, um, and only 25 minutes to Belleville. So I'm down there selling too. So got a pretty broad area, but I'd rather I'd be rather be out driving around the back roads than sitting at the office, anyways. I believe that for sure. How much do your hockey connections help, or even the way you built relationships through the game over all those years help you in your career in real estate? Well, there's a few hockey players back here. I got a call, uh, I was about three years ago, and uh, you'll know this name, Dale DeGray. <laughs> a <laughs> <And> digger. <laughs> he, yeah, he had some, um, he actually lives on my, he's getting ready to move up to my the lake I live on. And so I had some listings there and he left a message. And so when I called, he said, I'm not sure whether you uh, remember me or not. And I said, of course I do. So how can I help? He ended up buying a, buying a, a lot up on our lake and he's built a house up here. He hasn't moved up yet, but uh so like just funny things like that. And I get a lot of people like I have a little blurb on that. I played 
played pro hockey and nothing too major, but a lot of people will read up on me before they call. Okay, where'd you play hockey? Oh, you got drafted by the Leafs, really? So it, it's a conversation starter for sure. I don't, uh, I don't necessarily uh, lead off that I was a hockey player, but they say, oh, you're the hockey player. I said, no, I'm the real estate guy that used to be a hockey player. <laughs> <laughs> when a guy like Dale DeGray calls and says, you probably don't remember me. And you're like, oh, yeah, I do. Fondly or not so fondly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have played against him in the eye. And now he's obviously in um, Owen Sound, good friend of mine, uh, Greg Walters, the coach there now. So lots of connections still in the league, which is uh, some of our some of our kids of, of all the guys we played against. Now they're coming through the OHL. So nice to see. I like the looks of that attack team this year. They're kind of my sleeper in the Western Conference. There'll be some other tough teams, but I like Owen Sound. Do you still keep tabs on Major Junior, even though you don't have a team in the immediate area? Not as much. Uh, if it was local, yes, but uh, it's more to keep track of uh, the kids that I know their fathers and stuff or local kids that are playing. That's more so. I don't necessarily keep track of all the standings. Uh, there's a lot of people that I run into, like James Boyd. Uh, run into him run to him, not all the time, but ran a couple times in Kingston. I've ran into him in Bell before. You just never know. We've got some same friends. So there's guys around the league that uh, I'll run into periodically. So like I say, I don't follow it that I'm right on top of it. I'm more watching the NCAA right now. So it's uh, um, the, the time is divided, I guess. We talk about six degrees of separation a lot with your career and the number of stops that you've had. It's probably two or three degrees of separation. You got to know somebody that knows somebody that you either played with or were related to somehow. Yeah, pretty much everywhere. And even now I'll be down at Cornell and I'll be looking around on the other, uh, see who's on the other team. Cause if there's any kids that recognize their name, then their dads are not going to be far behind. And I've ran into numerous guys at these games and then plus the scouts that are in these stands, I know whether it's half or less than half, whatever of the guys that are actually scouting. So it's awesome uh, to, to catch up with those guys. We, we may look a little bit different, maybe a little heavier, a little less hair, but uh, uh, we still always, it's always nice to connect for sure. I'll tell you what, your, your stories are a ton of fun. This has been great. Uh, congratulations again on the induction into the Belleville Sports Hall of Fame, Steve, and, and thanks so much for making time for our show. Oh, I'm more than happy. That's awesome. Uh, thanks for the invite. I really enjoyed it. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.